I just have a couple things that I felt like it'd be important for me to share. I know Becca shared a bunch of stuff, but um, this Friday morning is a great opportunity. We started this better um, building better leaders last year, and we've had a great response. Six thirty. We'd love for you to sign up this 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 Friday. Um, Hennepin County Commissioner Jeff Johnson is going to come and share his um, unique role as a Christian in, uh, in leading. So. Love for you to take a look at that. One other thing, if you're in the 20, 30 something, I think even 40 something age group, we're having a, a, a kind of a get together at my home. Um, and, and so we'd love for you, if you haven't, you're not even aware of it, you're new, I'd love for you to check into that and, and be a part of that. Okay. I'm really excited. We've been talking about the good life and the good life we know it isn't about the abundance of things. Word of God makes that clear, nor is it the absence of trials. It is about living on a regular, consistent basis in the presence and goodness of God. And what that means is you walk through life. And so we've been looking at a few of those things, and this week I'm really excited about it because I, I wanted to talk about a flourishing family, and as I continue to pray about it, I began to um, really come with the conviction that one of the things that would be important to talk about, and I don't mean to, to in any way deny the importance of any other role in the family, but I really thought it would be a good thing for us just to talk to dads because it's so easy to get distracted, it's so easy um, to be pulled into other areas. It's, it's, it can be easy to become passive. Uh, and, and so we really want to kind of zero in this morning on, on, on the spiritual life uh, of, of you guys. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm, I'm really um, thrilled to be able to have Mike Noeski, who has been a part of our church. Mike and Carrie have been a part of our church. So Mike, if you want to come at this point and, and share with us um, this last... Well, no, I just took this whole thing apart. Excuse me. Okay. Uh, this last spring, uh, I had the opportunity to dedicate your first child, Ethan, and um, it looks like there's another one on the way. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so- sooner rather than later. Hi, <laughs> <I> Carrie. <laughs> so we're excited. We're really excited about that. You know, I, what I wanted to do, because I've heard Mike's story being in a Monday guys group with him, and and right away when, when he came and I started to get to know him here in the church, I thought, wow, here's a guy who's been, you know, trained, mentored, probably comes from a strong Christian home and has just had, you know, these values instilled because I just sense this sense of drive and hunger to want to know the Lord. Um, Tell us about your growing up years and and how your life was that way. Yeah, so actually the exact opposite. So I grew up (laughs) uh, with, you know, mom and dad and uh, growing up, older sister and myself, so two kids, and really didn't have the opportunity to connect with my dad, really get to know my dad. I really think, you know, now in hindsight, looking back, I don't think my dad really had the tools to really be a good father. I don't think he had the, really the opportunity to be mentored, discipled, um, really have a church family to really show him how to walk and lead in life. So for me growing up, really had kind of a, a disconnected relationship with my dad, really um, got to know my mom um, a little bit more. She really tried to put me in, in front of men, in front of a church family growing up. So I had the opportunity to go to youth group, had the opportunity to, to really be a part of different churches. Uh, but really that was my mom driving that. And then, um, you know, really seeing my dad kind of as life went on become more and more disconnected, more and more confused about uh, his purpose in life, more and more confused about what he wanted to do in life. 
Uh, so for me, it was it was kind of trying to figure out my own way as a kid growing up. So when you were kind of going through that process, you did church, and you know, just like probably have students who go through church and everything, but you didn't really get serious about your faith or really lean into that till later. And it's usually the way it is with people; you kind of go through some tough times. Um, is that true? Is that how yeah, for, for me, it was, it was very true. So as I mentioned, growing up, there was these, these points in life where I got to interact with some great men, but never really had an opportunity to spend uh, longer amounts of time with them or spend a deeper um, interaction with them. And then fast forwarding to when I was about, you know, 1920, um, my dad started drinking again. So growing up, I didn't have any alcohol in my house and Come to find out when I was younger, about three, three or four years old, my mom gave my dad an ultimatum and said, either stop drinking or you choose our family. And I was too young to really even be a part of what had happened in those early days. Uh, but then my dad started drinking again, right, right, right about the time I was about 19, 20 years old. And I just seen this anger come out of my dad. I really seen just a lot of, um, a lot of his personal struggles really come out, uh, through drinking again. And it's almost like he just started over. And uh, it just really rocked me uh, to the core to really see um, that, that anger, that frustration mm-hmm. with my dad. And then me at the same time, I was going through kind of a, a hard relationship personally where, where I had met someone and, and really we shouldn't have really invested into that relationship. Um, just it wasn't, it wasn't very healthy. So I was really dealing with both of those components at the same time. And then I ended up getting laid off at work. So, so you get all just, this stuff going on and you start to seek Jesus. How did Jesus kind of come in and begin to come around you? So I started through that time. I kind of came to the end of myself. And I said, I really don't have the capacity, the power to get through this on my own. And, and as a man, that was very hard to come to that point in life to say, I just need help. And through that process, God really kind of fine-tuned my heart. He really helped me understand what vulnerability was like. So he's like, you need to go to counseling. And I'm like, uh, men don't go to counseling. We just don't do that. Which was really cool because we're meeting <laughs> this group and we get all these guys around. You start sharing that. I thought, praise God for how vulnerable you are. Cause- Absolutely. And it was just praise to God. He just had different intentions for my life. He wanted to transform really who I was in this, because this was really becoming my identity. It was becoming my identity just to go through all these things. I had voices in my head that says, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be able to really overcome these circumstances. And so God's like, you got to go to counseling. And then I'm like, how am I even going to learn about some of these things to become more like you? And he literally said, I need you to go to Barnes and Noble. And I'm like, I don't read books. I just don't do it. And I was walking down this aisle, and he goes, look to your left. And I looked to my left, and there was this book called Telling Yourself the Truth. And it was talking about how that we have these misbeliefs in our mind that really contradict what the Lord has for us and his identity for us. And then through that, through counseling, um, the next step coming out of counseling is the counselor said, I need you to find a mentor. I need you to find somebody that is older than you that's willing to spend time with you to really give you kind of some tools in life. Yeah, so that all is happening. And, you know, and guys, you might be hearing us go, I don't ever hear God speak to me like that. Yeah, you know what? If you've accepted Christ, the Spirit of God's in you. He prompts you. It's part of the learning how to hear his voice. You may not hear words, but you'll feel, uh, you know, uh, these kind of impressions. Or sometimes you'll actually go, that thought, was that really my thought? And And God led you that way. So he led you into mentoring. And mentoring actually was what I think, from what I saw, brought great transformation. And so as a result of that, you are really convinced that this is a good thing, correct? 
Absolutely a really good thing. And then I had the opportunity to go to this leadership training. And of course, I was sitting in the back of the room. I'm like, okay, I'll see what I can get out of this. Uh, I was at a church at the time leading in the youth. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to this leadership training. It should be great. It was in about a te- intelligence awareness. And, and really, the speaker was talking about how we need to have a 360-degree view of who we are. And the best way to do that is to invite people to give us feedback, give us an understanding of some of the things we may be doing well and mo- maybe even more importantly, some of the things we need to kind of work on. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that was really, really neat about the speaker, he was talking about this, this visual where he, he had a sweater that was inside out. And on the end of the sweater... He didn't realize it was inside out until he seen kind of a string of the of the inside of the shirt. And he looked down and he noticed that his shirt, his sweater was inside out. And for me, it just really hit me like, you know, I need a better understanding of, you know, what am I not seeing in my own life? And really after that, that meeting, I walked up to this guy because he was telling me about his story and his dad and, and how his dad was kind of disconnected as well. And I said... The, the 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 story that you told is very similar to me, and I have a feeling we're going to get to know each other over the years. And it was just a, a really impactful moment for me. And from that point moving forward, it just really changed my perspective. And who was it? Okay. Vince Miller. He's here <laughs> with us today. And I found that out. I thought, you know, we're looking at this whole thing about, I thought, wow, how cool. We should have Vince come share because that's what he does has been some mentoring and how God used him and how he can use you. He's using you and people's lives and use us to, to do that kind of thing that we call mentoring. So um, thanks for um, being willing to kind of share that and let people kind of be a little bit more um, aware of what's going on in your heart and life and maybe that touch some people as well. So mm-hmm. thanks much. Man. Yeah. So, so I asked Vince, and, and so in this whole process, Vince, if you want to come up, it's been really kind of fun to get to know Vince. He started back in 2014 a ministry called Resolute, which we as a church are going to start um, asking kind of guys who want to be in it and um, to move into that. But why don't you tell us about your life? I know that you have done a number of different things. Uh, at one point, you were on staff with strategic planning for Eagle Brook, and, yeah. and now you're on your own just yeah. doing this thing. So yeah. thanks for being yeah, here. We you. really thanks appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, good morning to you. Um, I'm glad to be invited to be with you this morning, and I pray that our time will be a blessing to you. And Mike, thanks for sharing. That was uh, really a God moment for us, I think, and connected us in a relationship maybe about, what, eight years ago or something like that now? So uh, my name is Vince. Uh, I founded an organization called Resolute that provides discipleship and leadership development specifically to dudes. So if you're a dude in the room, you'll love it, I think, I hope. And uh, I provided this out of a calling that God called me to. So I heard God's voice in my own unique way. It was many years ago and began with a single mentor. So if you can jump to that mentor slide, which is the one right after that one. Keep going. One more right here. One more. There we go. So the impact of a mentor. So this began with me. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, There's probably no one in here from California. Is there anybody? There's a couple of people. So I grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, Vallejo, specifically, this is my map of the Bay Area. Here's the Golden Gate Bridge right here. If you can see that, I grew up right there. So right next to Oakland. Um, I grew up in a family that did not know Christ. In fact, my mother and father were very far from Christ. Um, so far from Christ that my dad didn't allow us to actually use the name of the Lord in vain in our house. 
We only watched one movie at Christmas, and it was a movie that many of you probably have seen called It's a Wonderful Life, because it didn't talk about God in it. And I remember that this created a very unique upbringing for me. Uh, my mother and father got divorced when I was two. Mom got remarried again, divorced again. And by the time I was 14, I had been through two dads. And I would felt pretty alone. And my mom was feeling kind of devastated. She came to me one day and said, I'm, I'm choosing not to remarry anymore. And uh, I don't know what that means for us. But she had lots of boyfriends in another house. And uh, this really messed with my soul. Uh, even though I didn't know anything about God and was never exposed to God, my grandfather, who was a Christian, came to my mom one day and said, can I start spending time with Vince? And he came to ask her permission because he knew that she might say no because he was a Christian. Well, no kidding, my mom agreed, caved, and then my grandfather started picking me up from school each day. And it just started with that. And he started pulling me into a healthy environment at home with my grandmother and grandfather, and I started seeing things I'd never seen before, ever, like a Bible open in the house or, or prayer at dinner. And then slowly over time, my grandfather started spending more and more time with me. Eventually, I moved into the house. That's basically what happened by the time I was about 15 or so. I was living with my grandfather. I called him dad, uh, and he raised me. And I learned all kinds of things from this guy, all kinds of things. I learned about God. I learned what it meant to communicate your faith. I learned how to understand the Bible, how to memorize books of the Bible. I learned how to share my faith with other people. But my grandfather was a meticulous man. (laughs) He was a Navy guy, kind of a brute, really, really cool, loved by everybody. But he taught me just even the simple things that a young man wants to learn, like things like how to study well, how to play hard, how to pick up girls, (laughs) how to drive a car. So I learned to drive on this car right here. This is a 1959 Chevy Apache pickup truck. This is not an actual picture of it. I will say this, though. My grandfather's truck was nicer than this. It actually was. It was a show car. It was his daily driver. When I was 15, he had it completely taken apart and put back together, nut and bolt restoration. He planned on giving it to me when I was 16. So I learned how to drive on a 1959 Chevy Apache, step-side pickup truck with a big window in the back, and I want to tell you that there was nothing automatic about this car. (laughs) Nothing. Big bus-like steering wheel for a little 15 and a half year old, three on the tree. Manual transmission that was non-synchro, which just meant you had to come to a stop before you could grind it really into gear, right? Had a starter on the floor that I actually had to leave the pleather seat to reach. (laughs) Had to leave the seat. Wing windows that we called an air conditioner. And believe it or not, it had windows that you rolled down with a crank. So I have three teenage kids, one in college now, and I remember a few years ago, I sat the middle child down in a truck that had a crank window, and he said to me, what's that? I said, well, that's what you roll the window down with. And he said, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Just shaking his head, you know. Never seen one, isn't that crazy? 
Well, I learned to drive on that thing. I learned to drive on it. And my grandfather was meticulous in teaching me how to drive it because this truck was pristine. My grandfather bought that truck off the showroom floor and it had never been scratched. Never dinged, never touched. It had been restored three times though. Perfect. Everything about it was perfect. So my grandfather spent a lot of time teaching me how to drive. He invested in me. That's what you do. You invest in people, right? You teach them things. And so before I ever took that car out for a drive, he had taught me things on how to drive it. And I'll never forget the first time I got into that vehicle and drove it. It was very intimidating for me. I knew that I had to pass the test of driving it well. Otherwise, I wasn't going to get it when I turned 16. So here I am, 15 and a half with a permit learning to drive on a cherry fire engine red truck driving down the street. And I need to tell you that there's not a lot of flat area in San Francisco. Almost none. So I come up to the first stoplight on a hill. Stop with a manual transmission that's non-synchro. I put the brake on, and no kidding, exactly what happens, what I don't want to happen. A car pulls up behind me. Right behind me. My grandfather has taught me all kinds of things, though. So he's embedded in my mind how to handle this situation before I ever got there. You apply the brake. You put the clutch in. You pull up on the emergency brake with your left hand. Left foot on the clutch. Remove your right foot from the brake. Place the car into first gear. Take your foot from the brake to the gas. Get the engine going and kind of work the emergency brake, the handheld emergency brake with the gas to get it going. I remember I'm sitting in this moment going, this truck is heavy. I mean, it's a farm truck. That's what this thing is. It's heavy. It's made of like American steel. You know, it rolls. And I'm working the gas and the brake in this moment. And my grandfather crosses his arms with his bald head, turns over at me in a very, very serious tone, says, Vince, you better not scratch my truck. <laughs> I, I think I understood that, grandfather. And so I'm, I'm working the gas. You know, I'm up to like 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 RPMs. And <laughs> that's all I can think is just get that thing going. Get that motor going fast enough, chugging fast enough that I'll just take off, you know. And, uh, and then my grandfather turns to me and says, Now, son, when I was young and we were driving around here, we, we would sometimes roll gently back into the car behind us so that we could take off. Just roll back into him gently. And I'm thinking in my head, would you stop bothering me? I'm trying to get this right. Right at that moment, you know, I'm revving the engine and I think the person behind me could see that I was very, very nervous and they kind of pull back and then, and I kind of, you know, skid out of, of that position and then kind of fly through the intersection and the sweat now has covered my body and I take off and I think, okay, I've done it. I've done something amazing in this moment, right? I've conquered my fears because I had someone sitting beside me who was willing to invest in my life. Now, my grandfather was an amazing man, but he not only taught me how to drive, he taught me how to park, right? So every Saturday, he would teach me how to parallel park this vehicle. (laughs) It was so painful to learn how to park this in California. But I tell you, six hours every Saturday for six months, no joke. I learned to parallel park in that vehicle right there. Isn't that crazy? I've been married for 21 years, have three children, and my wife will attest to the fact that there is never a time 
that I haven't parked my own vehicle, truck or otherwise, perfectly the very first time. (laughs) In fact, I remember recently I just bought a new truck. We were driving downtown Minneapolis. My wife turns to me and says, I bet you can't, you can't get that in there. I says, oh yes, I can. I've never parallel parked that truck. I parked it perfectly the very first time, an inch, an inch from the curb, an inch from the curb. And she just like shaking her head. And you know, it's funny, it's funny, but all that time that my grandfather spent with me was transformative for me. Because every time I parallel park the car, I think of a person, not an event, not what I'm doing. I think of someone who sat by my side, who watched me, taught me, invested in me, spoke, spoke into my life, and showed me how to do something very simple. Mentor, discipleship, leadership development, whatever you want to call it, is very, very simple. It's not rocket science. It's spending time with a person and passing on information to them that's critical for the benefit of their future. That's all it is. It's very, very simple. Spend time with a person and share with them something. This is not a new plan. This is not a new plan. This has been the plan since the beginning of time, the dawn of age. God, since the beginning of time, taught us in Deuteronomy 6 that we have a responsibility. Specifically, I'm speaking to dads now and fathers to train, to walk along the road as you're sitting down, as you get up, to spend time and invest and to teach and impart words to people so that the hope of the church will continue. And then jump to Matthew 28, the very last thing that Jesus says to us, which is, go into all the world, teach, baptize, (laughs) spend time with, invest in, carry forward everything that I have taught you, pass it on to another. Nothing has changed. It's still the same. But unfortunately, we have a tragic problem. A big problem. It's a single problem, and it's this. Because of my grandfather's time and investment with me, not only did I learn how to drive, but I learned how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and learn how to fortify that relationship with Jesus Christ by spending my time in God's Word with people, His church, praying, singing, teaching, all those activities that God imparts to us, gives us to us as tools. And I made a profession of faith when I was 20. I was a little stubborn, a little slow, learned to drive before I ever became a Christian. But I got to tell you, at the age of 20, it all started to make sense. And I fell in love with the beauty of Jesus Christ. It was an amazing moment. One year later, my grandfather died. One year. Most tragic moment of my entire life, I promise you. The only Christian man that had really poured into my life was gone. He was taken by cancer. He had cancer. He didn't tell a lot of us about it, but he got it into his spine. Grandmother says, you need to come home. Daddy's sick. Came home. I spent one hour with my grandfather at his bedside in a hospital, and we talked for one hour about life, about my future, about girls, (laughs) uh, about how the truck was, of course, (laughs) and what my future looked like. And then he laid down. I watched him lay down in that bed. Six hours later, he died. But I remember that moment was so significant to me. It was so powerful. I was alone with him, watching him die. I prayed a prayer out loud to God. Here's the prayer. God, for the rest of my life, I want to do for other men what my grandfather did for me. 
I mean, it was so powerful. It's like 25 years ago now. I want to do for other men what my grandfather had done for me. And then I asked God for one thing. I says, but God, would you please replace my grandfather to me in my life? Only thing I asked him for. Here's the problem. Over 20 years, I asked two to five men a year to mentor me. And over 20 years, no one ever did. I was a willing guy. I was completely willing. In fact, I stayed with it. I was committed to it. And then finally, I'll never forget the last time I asked someone to mentor me. I walked into that guy's office. I said, would you please do this? I was very direct about it. He said he would get back to me. He never did. Now, before I really beat on this topic too much, I want you to think about what you think the answers would be to someone who said no. Because I only heard two answers over 20 years or two excuses to why they were unwilling. I don't know what to do and I don't have the time. I heard those same two excuses year after year after year after year and it was devastating to me. Till finally God irritated me enough to provide a solution. Instead of me just being irritated about it, I, felt, I discovered that God wanted me to step into that call. Right? Because I know and understand that there's a reason why we have this problem. And the reason why is this. Next slide, please. Apathy. Apathy is the greatest sin in the Bible. There is no greater sin than it. If you turn back to Genesis 3 and you read the account of how Satan tempted man and woman, you'll discover in that moment that woman steps in, that she engages in a conversation, and that she's wooed in by Satan and his deceptiveness to try to convince her to become like God. Now, I actually think that there's some nobility in what woman did here. Because women, you did something. Congratulations. You stepped up. You engaged. You became a part of the conversation. And even though you were tempted, it's okay. Because the saddest part of the story is the fact that man is watching this unfold. He's watching it unfold. He's been given the commandment. He knows what's not supposed to happen. And he does nothing and he says nothing. That sounds remarkably like... I don't know what to do, and I don't have the time. And I need you to know that this one sin is killing the church. It's absolutely killing the church. It isn't people stepping in, making mistakes, trying to solve problems, screwing things up, sinning once in a while. It's people sitting on the bench and doing nothing, right? Apathy. And it's killing the church. Because we live in private shame that we don't have the time and we're too busy and we don't know what to do and are unwilling to learn. And I believe that unless we do something about apathy and get engaged, it's not going to change. Every statistic in the world tells me that this is true. In fact, you'll see from this next slide here that unfortunately, men are losing in every category in the church. And I could dazzle you with facts all morning. I'm not going to do that. The fact is that men, we're losing. We are. 
Men are not coming to church. They're not engaged with the church. They're not leading their family. They're not sharing their faith, reading their Bible, finding brotherhood, living with integrity, leading their wife. And intuitively, gentlemen, if you're sitting here today, thank you. But you know this is true, right? We hear songs like this, but from Sanctus Real, and we hear these words, and we're moved by them because we know we're leaving our wives hungry for love. We're chasing our dreams. We're unwilling to fight. We're leaving our families feeling alone, and that apathy is killing the church. It is. It's killing the church. The hope of the church is that men will do something with what God has called them to do and move from the chair to getting into the game in whatever arena we possibly can, even if we screw it up a little bit, even if it's not perfect, that we just move into action is what God is looking for. Why do you think God throughout the entire Bible uses a phrase to motivate men? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid for I, the Lord, your God, am with you. And God uses that vision throughout the beginning of the Bible to the very end to motivate guys to not be afraid to move into action. He used it with Moses. He used it with Joshua. He used it with David. He used it with Solomon. And he continues to use it through all the prophets and all the kings, even into the New Testament, as Jesus says, hey, wait a second, I got a plan for you. The plan is to do exactly what I did. Let's jump to that next slide. The solution. Here's the solution, I believe. The solution to this problem is not to complain about men. It's not to point out all the bad things that men are doing or are not doing. The solution to the problem is to develop better men. Period. It's a very positive solution. Dallas Willard said it this way. He's a little more negative than I am because he was a little grumpy at times, but... He said stuff like this, the non, non-discipleship is the elephant in the church. It's not the many moral failures, financial abuses, or the amazing similarity between Christians and non-Christians. These are only effects of the underlying problem. The underlying problem, men, is that we need to do something. Anything. Even if it's done bad to do something. Because that's the way you learn. I didn't perfectly park that truck every time the first time. I bumped into the curb a few times. My grandfather had me correct me a few times. I had to learn how to work uh, that big piece of machinery and turn it with my tiny little arms. I had to learn all kinds of things, and I made some mistakes along the way, but really the solution is to do something, right? To do something, to fight apathy in our life. If you could jump to the next slide here. What's funny about this is that Jesus modeled this for us. I've always found Jesus to be very fascinating, but there's one thing about what he did that I thought was more fascinating than anything else. Don't miss this part. There were some things, men and women, I want you to know that only Jesus could do. Only Jesus could be sinless. Only he could go to battle and win with sin. Only he could be born incarnate. Only he could die on the cross as a sacrifice for all man. Only he could be raised from the dead. But there is one thing that he did that I believe if you take it away, we don't get to hear about all those great things. It's the fact that he was conscious that he was going to die. He was conscious that he was going to die. And so 22 months before he did, He took in 12 guys, and he spent time with them every day and poured into them. 
I do want you to know factually and on a timeline, it was only 22 months. 22 months. That's it. That's all he spent with these 12 guys. And somehow in 22 months, as the master mentor, the master disciple maker, he convinced those, those guys to give their lives for him. These guys died brutal deaths, most of them. In fact, John, the revelator who wrote the book of Revelations, was persecuted to the point that he was boiled alive in hot oil, did not die, and then was exiled to Patmos where he wrote that book. Fascinating. What compels a man to allow himself to be boiled alive in oil for a man who'd only spent 22 months with him? Isn't that amazing? There must have been something compelling. There must have been something amazing about that message. But I do want you to know Jesus was so good at it that you're sitting in this room today because of what he did. That's why you sat here. It's because Jesus took a few guys around him and invested him and poured into him and loved them and took them in when we were fatherless and became a father to them and passed that on. Well, I stepped into this about four years ago because I was convinced that God wanted me to share with the world and the church that, men, we need to get in the game. If you're a guy sitting in the room today, get off the bench spiritually. Stop it. Make a commitment today to join Jesus in his mission by challenging yourself to personal spiritual growth, to leading in your family spiritually, maybe praying with your wife or loving your children or engaging in spiritual dialogue. You're going to screw it up. (laughs) You're not going to be perfect. But it would be amazing to see what would happen in our families, how we could reconcile, how we could lead. Our businesses would change. Our churches would change. And men would get engaged. And I still believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world through the church here at Wyzetta Free Church by you doing something. Jesus did it through 12. That was it. Change the world. But as I look out at the world today, I hear the voice silencing. And women, I'm letting you off the hook today. I don't think it's women that are the problem. I think it's men that need to engage and do something. So in a very loving voice, I want to say there's lots of guys like me out there that want you to step into their life that need you and need you to invest in them. And I want to encourage you to do the same. What's the most important decision you will ever make and the most important aspect to invest in? What do you think that is? The most important thing in life, what is it? Most of us sitting in this room, or at least a large percentage, would probably say the most important thing that we'd ever invest in in our entire life is our spiritual life. We would absolutely hands down say that. So why not make the choice to invest in that, to invest in it, to develop it, to spend some money in it, to find someone to spend time with you. We make plans in all parts of life. I have all my vacations planned for this year. (laughs) I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what I'm doing. I've already saved my money. I know when I'm going to get there, when the plane's going to leave, when I'm going to arrive home, who's going to take care of the kids. The only thing I don't have planned is the chaos that may happen while we're gone, right? But I know everything else. 
And we make plans in all parts of life. We plan a retirement. We, we plan how we're going to grow in our business. We plan all kinds of things. But the most important aspect of life is your spiritual life. And so I would just want to invite you to invest in that. Whether you're a man or a woman sitting in the room, a child or older in life, Invest in it. Do something about it. And you know what it begins with? It begins with an invitation to step into a conversation with somebody else who takes the time and talks with you about the principles that are laid out in God's word here. And so that's my challenge for you today. I'm really grateful for you, Kevin and George, and you guys that have been willing to say, hey, we're going to invest in this this year. Uh, I've created videos, small group videos and handbooks that go with those videos that give guys an opportunity to have a mentorship conversation. In fact, I've written about 11 to 13 of those kinds of handbooks that allow men to have very simple conversations with other men. Mike Noeski over here sat in one of my very first pilot groups maybe about six to eight years ago, and it was just an idea then. I had no idea I would actually turn it into a, a business or a ministry. <laughs> had no idea. But he sat through the experience, and I watched him change, and my prayer is that I can share this with the church. So today, back in the lobby, we actually have a booth back here, and I want to give you a couple of choices. Whether you're young or old as a man, you feel like you're equipped or not, we have tools back there. That's what I provide men are tools, not just inspiration from a platform, but real tools that say, look, you're two types of guys sitting in this room. You're either one, one who wants to be mentored, or you're a guy who says, man, I'd like to mentor somebody else, right? We here at YZFree would love to pair those two groupings of people together. We'd love to put those together around biblical conversations, around God's word that make it easy for you to have those conversations. So if you're a guy in this room who's always wanted to be mentored, I want you to walk back to that booth this morning and I want you to just fill out a card and George or Kevin or somebody will follow up with you and we'll find some sort of group that you can be in where you can sit in and you can have those conversations. If you need a little nudge, your wife can do that right now. But if you're a guy sitting in this room and you're thinking, man, I'd really like to mentor somebody else. Yes. Praise God. We could show you how to do that. It's really simple. And you can walk right back to the back and you fill out a little card and we'd love to know who you are and at least give it a shot. Don't walk out of this room and do nothing. I tell guys that all the time. Don't walk out of this room and do nothing. Don't feel convicted, but don't and then not live with it. Don't feel convicted and then not live with it. Because then it's just inspiration that falls flat in our life. Do something with it. Act on it. Live differently. All right? I am so grateful, Kevin, that you've allowed me to come today. And I just want to invite you up right now as we close our time. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team if they'd come as well. Vince, thank you so much. What a great challenge. Really appreciate it. Um, Do you still have the truck? It's a long story. Oh, it's long. <laughs> you backed into some money? Is that what happened? Okay. <laughs> anyway, you know what? Uh, I, I, I just want to say that as well as what Vince has said. On Wednesday night, Vince is going to be back here. We're going to actually meet in here, and Vince is going to go into kind of more of the how-tos and some of the other things about that. So I sure would love for you to be here Wednesday night. And if you know of someone that you'd like to be here, um, bring someone with you. Um, as a guy, we'd love for you to be here to be a part of that. So let's stand together and we're going to
sing this last chorus in worship, and then I'll close. Thanks. <laughs>